I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Mark Henderson. Mark is a former competitive swimmer. He is an Olympic gold medalist, three-time world champion, and former world record holder. After his competitive swimming career, Mark went on to work on Wall Street and then started a nonprofit, The Athletes Village. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Start off this conversation with an inspirational quote or saying that maybe has given you a little motivation these days? Um, My inspirational quote for everyone would be, you have to do the things others won't do to have the things others only dream of. I love it. Yeah, that definitely gets this conversation started right. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, After your career as an Olympic athlete and Wall Street investor, which we'll definitely talk about those things, uh, you co-founded the Athletes Village. For our listeners who maybe haven't heard of the Athletes Village, what is it? What is the Athletes Village? Well, it started out as just a frustration of mine and a lot Mm. of my friends that needed to be solved. And that frustration was that it wasn't easy to give back as a pro athlete. Um, I could go give clinics, but that meant that I had to fly somewhere and hang out for a couple hours, especially when I was still training, which was really hard to put in the schedule. Um, so I wanted something that we could build that would be nice and easy for people to give back. Um, we built the first generation about two years ago of this, and now we're building the second generation of it as an app for your phone. Um, but the first generation, when we released it, we had over 600 pro athletes and sports experts join within the first eight months. Wow. So, um, we had a lot of interest in it. And Hmm. um, we also had users in over, to to date, we have users in over 42 countries. The thing that jumps off to me is getting, you know, that 800 athletes and trainers and and all of those, uh, all of those people. So what did you do? Uh, How did you go about getting all of that buy-in? Um, we work two avenues, really. Um, we have a lot of connections on LinkedIn. So we mm-hmm. put out a few um, posts regarding the Athletes Village. But also, I think word of mouth was big. And hmm. you know, athletes are very competitive. And so when they <laughs> see their friends doing something, they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What was that? Like, what were they doing? 
and mm. you know, people are complimenting them for giving back and that type of thing, then the other athletes tend to jump on and participate. So, hmm. um, and one other thing we found was that when athletes were involved on it um, and they came organically, we would try to approach them and just ask them to throw a few of the responses they had on the site um, onto their social media. And we built a function. Oh, cool. That. So, um, you know, that, that was big too, because some of these guys have yeah. 400,000 to a million followers. Now, you know, your background's in swimming and this app isn't just for swimmers. It's for all sorts of athletes. So as you're, as you're building, as you have built it and continue to build it, how have you gone about making this a personalized experience for all of these diverse athletes? Um, well, we, we've, we wanted, I mean, the whole goal of it was to be a personalized experience. I mean, the yeah. complaint at pro athletes have when they give clinics is that they really feel like they're kind of broad brushing their mm. advice and not really helping anybody specifically. Yeah. So um, we really wanted you to, for instance, to be able to go on there and ask a question that could help you personally. Yeah. You're trying to break a certain minute mile and, and you're hitting a roadblock or your nutrition is failing you or okay. you, know, you just decide to become vegan or vegetarian, you know, like what type of protein sources, you know, can you have? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, ability there to, and, and if it, and if the question is, you know, very personal and you could be embarrassed asking it, we made it so that you could ask questions anonymously as well. So what makes this unique than, let's say, you know, a little group on LinkedIn or your Twitter groups or Facebooks or all of these different groups that are out there? What makes Athletes Village uh, different, better, unique than those? Um, I think it's different because it's attracting a ton of pro athletes, right? Mm. Like LinkedIn or Instagram is very yeah. individual back and forth mm. questions. And, you know, when you DM somebody on Instagram you know, there's two things that are not happening for the pro athlete. <laughs> they're not being recognized for giving back. So it's uh, not helping them build their brand. It's typically a DM question that comes into them and then they respond and no one else yeah. sees it. Um, with the newer version that we have, as soon as they, it's all video, first of all. So if you can imagine, like you go on there and ask a basketball question, um, and then you get a response from a pro basketball player walking down the streets of New York, oh, cool. um, you know, on a, on a video. And as soon as he clicks send to send a response, it pings everybody that is following basketball on the site. But it also mm -hmm. automatically goes to both our social media sites and whatever social media sites the athlete who responded clicked hmm. on so it could go to all of his or just his you know or hers ju just her facebook her instagram you name oh, it um so it's it's pretty cool because it's yeah. going out there and branding directly to you know a huge audience now this new version is it in beta is it live what's the update with that yeah we plan on releasing it about a month before the olympics oh, okay we have a lot of athletes who are looking forward to talking about it. You know, a lot of them mm. have talked to me and said, uh, you know, we just can't wait to <laughs> talk about something other than ourselves. They've kind of, you know, <laughs> run out of conversation, you know, like it'd be fun to talk about something that is helping people on a global basis. 
Oh, that's cool. Okay, so that's the professional athlete side. And then you have a user. You have a high school kid, loves basketball, wants yep. to learn from a professional basketball player. He's on it. How does that person go about getting on the athletes? Village One, how do they go about, I guess, signing up is pretty easy. But what are the details with pricing and those sorts of structures? Completely free. Oh, wow. So 100% free. We're not here to make revenue. We're a nonprofit. Okay. We have been, um, we've received offers to sell the company. Yeah, I bet you have. <laughs> we're kind of sticking to our guns. I'm not going to say any names, but <laughs> a lot of the big companies that have these uh, home smart speakers mm-hmm. have yeah. you know, offered to buy our content so that you could you know, wake up in the morning and say, Hey, blah, 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 you know, give me some swimming tips. Wow. Give me some running tips or give me some inspiration, inspirational quotes. And you would have, you know, hopefully a mega superstar sports athlete respond. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a moment. So I'm sure you're debating that, right? As they're coming to you, obviously, you know, money's always a lure, yeah. but I'm also wondering if, okay, on one side, it's, well, I could have a bigger reach, right? I could get to more people. But then on this other side, well, I want it to be an intimate, authentic experience under the Athletes Village. How are you interacting with that? We, well, it's it's been, it's grown over the past two years to mm-hmm. become a nonprofit. We started yeah. out as a corporation. Okay. And, you know, I was on Wall Street. I knew a lot of the investment bankers. I knew, you know, I dealt in that area. And so I knew a lot of the VCs. But I didn't want to go down the road of having to produce revenue because that the first year and a half, it really closed a lot of doors for us. Like we go Mm -hmm. in and have these great talks with Nike or Under Armour or Dick's Sporting Goods, all these main brands that are trying to get kids in sports. And as soon as we got to the point of like, you know, you guys are a corporation and and we're, yeah, well, how are you making revenue? And so we're talking about subscription models and all this stuff. And all of a sudden you could see their excitement Mm. wane. And so um, we realized that the heart and soul of this is to make it a nonprofit and just a simple platform to give back. Yeah. It's super unique and super needed. I'm sure there's tons of, you know, professional athletes that are getting a lot out of giving back. And then obviously the you know, the young athletes or athletes trying to make it um, just receiving, you know, all of that information and guidance and, you know, mentorship as well. It's typically a, a one way conversation, right? It's typically yeah. the pro athletes telling you, here's how you should dribble. Here's how you should do this. Here's how you should do that. Mm. Well, it's different because we kind of flipped it. And yeah. Enable people like, hey, I tried your masterclass video, but I'm still having problems doing X, Y, mm. and Z. So now they're asking the question of how do you get past certain technique problems they're having? Yeah. And it could be timing. It could be, you know, just a simple technique mistake they're making. So it's, it's much more of a personal experience that can typically affect thousands of people. You know, we're just kind of trying to level the playing field. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned the Athletes Village, you know, is across many different countries, different cultures, different communities. How have you gone about you know, building community across, you know, all of these different countries, communities, cultures, you know, in this virtual setting? Well, we've done our best to, with the first version, we worked really hard to be involved in the community. So all of us, there's five of us working here. Um, All of us were on, you know, one of us was on at any hour of the day. 
And we were making sure that the conversations and the responses and the questions and all of that, you know, were of the utmost, like safe, like people felt safe. There wasn't aggression because when you bring something that people are passionate about, they can tend to be uh, very aggressive Mm. of standing behind their beliefs. Yeah. You know, you, you do have the parents who believe they need to be like Tiger Woods dad. And then you have the parents who believe, you know, you need to be like Peyton Manning's dad. And mm. they're very separate ways to bring up a kid in sports. Yeah. You know, Peyton played multiple sports, didn't play tackle until high school. Tiger was handed a golf club when he was like four months old. You know, mm-hmm. So it's definitely um, people trying, you know, some people are on there trying to fight for, you know, to kind of prove what they're doing is right. Yeah, another thing that jumps out is this is a different sort of learning, right? You're taking technology and and you know utilizing it for a transformative learning experience, for a transformative interaction that really couldn't have happened without it, right? Without technology, and and that's exciting. And a hot topic right now in education is hybrid learning. You know, an athlete teaching kids live at a clinic, and then there's people streaming in at the same time. So that's what I mean by that hybrid learning experience. Yep. Is the Athletes Village doing anything like that? Yes. Um, there is a void that we are looking to fill in terms of a lot of these big brand names like Nike that have summer camps. Yes. So they have like a summer lacrosse camp, but they don't talk to their attendees all year until the camp happens again. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for us to be the middleman where th- that keeps enhances that conversation and communication between the camp attendees and the experts that are there teaching the kids so that they Mm. can talk year round and they can ask questions and they can, you know, keep progressing, you know, through their sport. What has worked well as you guys are sort of delving into the hybrid learning? I'm asking that because the number, well, one of the number one things on teachers' mind, there's a lot of teachers listening into this podcast right now, a number one thing is hybrid learning, right? It's difficult. It's new. They've never done it before. So we're, we're sort of, all right, we want to learn from you and, and what you're finding out that has, that has been successful for you. God, since, since COVID, our numbers have been way up. And I think mm. one of the main reasons is because parents and teachers have been looking for a way to get their kids to exercise. And a lot of teams haven't been having practice. Yep. So that applied to the pro athletes as well, especially yep. the Olympic athletes. So, you know, younger athletes were looking to see what they were doing during this time. So, you know, having that communication and having that ability um, to find out what to do, what what's something fun I can do with my family or my kids mm. or myself if I'm a lacrosse player to stay in shape. Yeah. So that's the type of information we started really focusing on yeah and we also organic like a lot of the topics a lot of the subcategories on our site um grow organically and the biggest and most the highest performing um subcategory on our site is sports parenting Hmm. so that has something that has organically grown over the past year dramatically and we're getting a couple thousand people like looking at those categories a day. Um, And so, yeah, so I think that is probably one of the biggest opportunities we have um, because there's just, 
not many support groups for parents out there. And I think it's, you know, obviously the lowest hanging fruit because mm-hmm. you never see interviews with LeBron James's mom on how she raised them, you know, or Drew Brees's mom on or mom and dad on how they raised him and how they got through certain decision making. Um, you know, kids dropping out of sports is the the age is dropping lower and lower and lower. So you know, a couple of years ago, the average age of kids dropping out of sports was thirteen. Now it's eleven. And they say the number one reason is because of the parents. There's definitely things to be learned. And, you know, people are getting a little bit crazy about making their kids specialize at such a young age, which Mm -hmm. increases burnout and injuries and all kinds of negative attributions that, you know, I didn't have to deal with when I was growing up. I played multiple sports all the way up to my senior year in high school. So thinking about this this virtual learning, you know, experience, right? What's a big obstacle that you're trying to figure out right now that, you know, it's a problem and you guys are sort of collaborating, okay, we got to figure this out. You know, this isn't working, this isn't working. What's an issue with this virtual learning environment? I'd say the biggest issue is motivating. Mm. Motivating kids instead of people just coming to us when they have a problem like wanting to come to us, incentivizing them to come to us to improve. Because sports becomes fun, education becomes fun when you're improving, right? And you're doing well. I, I grew up with a teacher who, you know, education was first, way ahead of sports. And if I didn't hold a certain grade point average or if she saw my you know, grades dropping in school, my sports you know, started to dwindle in terms of <laughs> her letting me go. So, um, yeah, I think it's just motivating the kids and that's what we've mm-hmm. been working on. And, you know, we're, that's with version two, we're doing a lot of, you know, awarding points, having leaderboards, you know, getting, uh, other nonprofits involved. And when you get a certain amount of points, you can use those points to buy, other things on the site like autographs from athletes or you can use those mm-hmm. points to donate them for cat you know cash towards a charity so you know teaching yeah. kids empathy and that type of thing mm-hmm. so you know we're trying to get them to come back to you know incentivize them to come back to do certain things to get those points whether it's activity exercise mm-hmm. you know that they send a video in showing that they've done you know, 50 push-ups or whatever, but um, that that's what we're kind of beta testing right now. Okay. Yeah. I just had a, a conversation, episode 31 with Sean Canungo, and he said, uh, you know, if you're not gamifying your classroom, and he's not an educator, he's a disruption innovation specialist. We were talking about education and he was saying, if you're not gamifying your classroom, you're sort of not relevant. You know, everything's a game um, yeah. for them. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're gamifying the experience of your app to to bring increased motivation. Is that kind of what you were going for? Exactly. I, I agree with him 100%. I think mm-hmm. that's a very smart way to, to look at it. Um, I think we were always incentivized in one way or another in yeah. my family to achieve things. And um you know, I, I think that works really well, especially with kids these days. I mean, mm. my son will do X, Y, and Z to get a skin for a video game. And, <laughs> you know, so it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I actually have a really good story in that regard. I, he was, you know, trying out lacrosse for the first time a couple of years ago and he was young and 
you know, he looked like he was kind of lost out there and didn't want the contact. And we limit his video games. Um, you know, he can only play on the weekends, but he absolutely loves video games. And so um, I told him he could get this certain. So before the game, I made the mistake of saying, you know, I'll get you this certain skin if you <laughs> get a certain amount of points during the game. And points being, you know, if you're the first guy to the ball, you get three points. If you pass the ball and someone scores, you get two points. If you score, you only get one point. But, you know, I was making it so it wasn't like he was like a ball hog or anything. Yeah. More like, just want aggression. That's it. I just want you to go out there and run <laughs> and not be like completely like looking at the sky. And so the kid went nuts. You know, <laughs> he was like a maniac on the field and just, you know, chasing the ball around like, a you know, like a dog that just can't drop a ball, like a lab, you know. And so um, afterwards, the coach and some of the parents came up and they were just like, oh, my God, your son was on fire today. <laughs> oh, and, and I was just sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm such a bad parent. <laughs> One of my best moments. You know, I'm like, that's totally unsustainable. I can't, like, go to every game. You know, like, I'll be poor by the time the season <laughs> So, yeah, but that's, that's an example, an extreme yeah. example. But um, – and not something I'm suggesting it to as a parent. <laughs> but um, I think kids – have been, you know, kind of growing up in this mm-hmm. kind of valley where in, in the games that they play, they're awarded yeah. Yeah. for a certain amount of game time play. Yeah. Yeah. Let's reflect on that a moment because, you know, any parents listening, you know, want us to pause and think about this a little bit more. Yeah. So you're sort of reflecting afterwards and, and thinking about it. And my question for you is this, and, and I'm thinking about this as well. So these motivation strategies are really powerful. Right. You saw it with your son. We see it in the games. It's, it's not always bad. So how do we balance this? And we don't have to talk about this too long, but how do we balance this? What did you think about between this motivation, the power of motivation, the power of these things, which aren't necessarily bad, and then building intrinsic uh, motivation within your child or within your student? How do we go about doing that? Because if we don't hold out rewards, we might not get the student or our child or, or our athlete to do anything. Right. right. Sometimes we need to like spark them a little bit but then we don't want them just you know chasing after the thing day after day after day what what are some of your thoughts on that yeah i mean i think that's an incredibly interesting conversation it can go down many rabbit holes <laughs> you know I, I think that you know on one hand you know it's extremely important to recognize kids when they do something well mm. and that's probably the hardest thing teachers are having to deal with right now is that when somebody's doing really well in a class it's hard to recognize them on a video chat you know and so um in a classroom you can simply like walk up to them and be like johnny that was such a you know such a great art project you did i'm really proud of you it looks like you put a lot of time mm. into it and that makes all the difference in the world because you're just all of a sudden you just want that dopamine hit right like mm. you want to please that teacher because you know you could be recognized um same thing with sports uh i mean when i say parents are the number one reasons kids quit sports one of the worst things parents do, and I try to compare it to education all the time when I talk to them, is, you know, watch watch any soccer game of kids under the age of 14. And, and parents are yelling and screaming and <laughs> telling their kids what to do. And I try to bring them back a level and say, okay, look at how you reacted during a soccer game. 
And then would you do the same thing for your kids when they're doing math homework? You know, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't say like six plus eight, like carry the one, like, what are you doing? (laughs) God, just do it. You know, like you wouldn't do that. You know, like it's, 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 it's a completely different, like parents have a completely different mindset when it comes to sports than they do education. Mm -hmm. And if I was to say to my son, you know, we were just working on math before this and I say, oh, my God, that was great. Or, oh, you just about had it. You just, you know, right. Look at this part of it again. I think you just had a little miss up here. And, oh, that's awesome. You know, like you get that all of a sudden he's excited to do the next thing. Right. If I'm Mm -hmm. going like, oh, I can't believe you messed up again. Like, come on, come on. You know, and that's that's where you can see major differences. And I think that's why teachers are having such a hard time is it's really hard to, you know, recognize people when they're doing well. And that's what we're trying to do with the newer version of the app is, you know, enable kids to, you know, update their emoji or update, you know, get different skins for Mm -hmm. their profile picture you know, when they get to different levels of points, which, you know, different level of points are you know, get gained by sharing on social media or asking a question or recognizing someone for answering your question or, you know, or doing a physical activity. So, you know, there, there's one of my son's teachers really stood out to me in terms mm-hmm. of um, going above and beyond, but actually motivating these kids. And she took the time to call them individually once a week and really recognize, hmm. you know, there's 30 kids in the class. So this is time consuming. Yeah. She would call them during the week and say, Oh my God, I just want to recognize you for, you know, you're being seen, you're being heard. And, wow. you know, I saw on your quiz that you had really put some time in and I just want to tell you, I really appreciate that. And so, you know, my son wants to do good in that class. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that example, too. I appreciate that. And that's that's really helpful for me to hear. That's helpful for our listeners, because sometimes we get bogged down um, in the technology, in the tools. Right. They have this. I have this. This isn't working. But it didn't take a whole lot for that teacher to reach out to every student every every week and recognize them and have a quick conversation or just recognize them um, in front of the group. And I sort of jotted down as you were talking, just trying to get some of these gems and, and, you know, bring it to another context. And I was just like, you know, recognition plus gamification, you know, equals motivation. And, and, you know, we can apply that you're, you're applying that. And, uh, and we can apply that to, to many different avenues. And, you know, one of the avenues that you've worked with is working with athletes and military professionals, especially when when you were on Wall Street and and bringing them in and and training them and and bringing them right in to to succeed. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, coming on to Wall Street, um, I, I did many different positions in, during my career, but you know, I was one of those traders that you saw on the trading floor, you know, yelling and screaming and <laughs> doing all the craziness, but um, I was so lucky because I had mentors in the business who were either ex-athletes or just took the time to learn how I did well, um, you know, in business. And a, a good example would be, you know, if I had an athlete 
as an employee um, and I said, hey, here's A, I want you to get to Z, ready, go. Mm-hmm. Um, they would stumble, they would, you know, wouldn't ask for help because it kind of kicks their pride. That's, yes. They haven't been trained to do that and they wouldn't do well. If I said, Here, here's A, here's, I want you to get to Z, here's the things you need to do to get to Z. They would crush it and they would mm-hmm. do it better and faster than anybody else because mm-hmm. that's how they were trained for all those years of their life. They had a coach who would say, here's practice, here's what I need you to do, and they would do it better than anybody else in practice, which moved them up through the ranks and eventually got them to the college level, right? But then all of a sudden you put them in the business world and you're like, here's A, here's Z, bye, go. And they have no idea what to do, even if they're really well educated. So for me, you know, I specialized in, I mean, I really put an emphasis on hiring ex-athletes, ex-college athletes, and military personnel, because I knew that they could crush it in a pressure situation. And believe me, we were in a lot of pressure situations, especially with a couple market collapses, you know, Mm -hmm. that that I lived through. And, uh, you know, as long as I knew how to get the most out of them, you know, our teams always performed extremely well, and they were really tight-knit. Uh, versus the backstabbing nature that you know most of Wall Street has a bad history of. Yeah. So how did you build that tight knit environment, a tight knit culture with with you and all of your workers? I took away a personal. I took away personal benefits and made them team benefits. So we had to perform to a certain level as a team for people to get bonuses. So when I came on the team, you know, when I came on to J.P. Morgan and had my own team eventually I, I changed that aspect that you know people tend to argue about yeah i'm sure some people thought that at the beginning how did you get buy-in from you know them to go with that team concept yeah there was definitely a handful of people that you know hated it because it they said oh i'm just not gonna work as hard <laughs> you know but i had to show them and prove to them that they could actually get a higher payout during bonus time as a team and that it was much easier instead of being through the exhausting, you know, argument, constant arguments of who takes credit for what account that three people are on and who should get the most credit for it. You know, so that's just exhausting. And it's Mm -hmm. something that's inbred in the business. And for us, it was, you know, once I took that away from them, they had to work together to <laughs> another level. But once they saw that they could reach bonuses that they had never received before, mm. you know, then, you know, it became exciting. Yeah, that's cool how you set up a new system to build community. And then you also, you know, spent time, took time to show them like the increased reward that they'll be able to get in this new community. But without setting up a new system, it would have never happened. And without creating a new reward system, you know, would have never happened either. Yeah, that's really interesting and and inspiring. In 1996, at the Olympics, you won a gold medal. It's taken us a while to get to that. Um, obviously, that just doesn't happen, right? There were some significant events that helped you get to the gold. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. You reflect on this. What were some of the most significant events that helped you get to that gold at the 96 Olympics? It was definitely a team effort. Mm. Um, I would never say, and, and I was on a a relay, right? So I just had to hold on to a lead for my dear life. (laughs) Um, 
You know, it was, uh, I would say the big things that stand out when I look back are, number one, my parents. Um, they were extremely supportive, never pitted me against anybody. The biggest thing they did that enabled my success was that I never felt like I had to win to um, control their emotions, right? Mm. Like You see a lot of parents just go crazy on the sidelines, whether their kids win or lose, like hands in the head if they lose or like Mm -hmm. over celebrating when they win. And society pushes that, right? Like society will walk up to the quarterback's parents and be like, oh my God, he had a great day today. That's so awesome. And that's like (laughs) an adrenaline to the parent, right? Like, oh, you know, I've got to make sure that my son has a great game next week and blah, 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 you know? And so it's just this treadmill of just negativity in a way that's not helping anybody. I mean, the parents really didn't have anything to do with it, to be honest with you. So my parents, um, they were pretty neutral. Like, you know, whether I won or lost, it wasn't, they just, they had an uncanny way of making me feel that it didn't matter if I won or lost. It's just that I achieved my goals. Like I tried my hardest that day and Mm -hmm. I achieved what I was out there to do. And if I didn't, have a good day like what did i learn from it yeah so um that in turn enabled me to try new things to be better right so i could experiment like i could be ranked number one in the state and be competing in a state championship but my coach is like hey i really want you to try a different breathing pattern today or Mm. i want you to try more underwater kicks you know before you pop up and let's see how that works out and if it doesn't work out like I didn't feel like I was disappointing my parents because yeah. I didn't win. There's a lot of kids out there that won't try new things because what they do is working at the time and they don't want to disappoint their parents. They don't want to have mm-hmm. to walk back to them and explain what happened. So that was that was the positive thing on the parent side. My coach was extremely influential in making it so that, you know, he, he everything was fun. Everything he was ahead of his time. Everything was uh, like race based, so he was trying to recreate what it's like to be up on the blocks and ready to race when I was like ten. You know, so mm-hmm. he would recreate you know meets all the time. You know, in practice where we'd all jump up on the blocks and do you know a couple all out sprints almost every day, um, just so that we were comfortable in that situation. So, you know, it was more of just trying to put us in a situation where when we got to the most um, nerve wracking situation in a competition, we would be calm. Yeah. As you can be. (laughs) So, um, and then I would say a lot of it is due to my teammates. Like they pushed me. You know, I went to Cal. I wasn't the best guy there. Like there was a lot of guys that were way better than me. And so I really had to work my way up through that program to get better. Like I just saw guys that trained way better than I did and way harder than I did. And they taught me I needed to be at a certain level to achieve greatness in in sports. But, you know, and teachers, you know, that taught me discipline. And, you know, there's... I was just lucky all the way around. I was extremely yeah. lucky to have very positive people around me. 
as you think about those Olympic Games, even now, you know, and getting that gold medal, what's a memory that remains imprinted in your mind? Ironically, I would say not making the team the Olympics before. I was actually going to ask you about this, Mark, because I've heard you tell this story. It's really powerful. This is a perfect segue. Yeah, it's probably the the story that most of the kids want to hear. It's kind of funny. Um, Oh, they know about it? Yeah, a lot of kids, when I go give talks, or they'll, they'll look me up on Wikipedia or something, and they'll say, like, yeah, yeah, I heard you broke the world record in the relay, but what happened in 92? So okay. um, it was uh, – to give a – I'll try to make it as brief as possible. No, no, don't. I love this story. I didn't know about it. You know, I'm not a huge swimming uh, – you know, I don't follow everything, but – when I've heard you tell it, there's so much to learn from that story. So please take your time. Yeah. And I think it applies to education in a yes. big way, right? So, yes. um, and it helped me in education when I was at Cal. So in 92, I was ranked second in the world. I was the number one uh, butterflyer in the U.S. And Olympic trials is a prelim and a final. And in prelims and, and in finals, it's only the top two that go. It doesn't matter if you're the current American or world record holder. If you're not in the top two at finals Olympic trials, you don't go. Mm. So it's kind of cutthroat and, you know, probably the most, it's harder. I think Olympic trials is harder than the Olympics. Like when you get to Olympics, you're like, ah, now I just get to race, (laughs) you know, like it's like (laughs) exciting. But, um, you know, at Olympic trials, I swam in the morning session um, and I typically, my coach would whistle for me to back off, um, just so I had enough left at night, you know, I didn't deplete the reserve tanks. So yeah. I'm swimming, having a great race. I feel almost effortless. The crowd is going crazy, like much louder than normal. And I'm like, what is going on? And <laughs> you know, about from the flags to the wall, you know, about, you know, last five to 10 meters, I hear that my coach whistle, and so I just kind of shut it down a little bit. And when I hit the wall, the crowd goes, "Oh!" And I was like, "What?" And so I look up. I like. I'm like, "Did I get DQ'd?" Because it was like not a good cheer. It was like, "Oh, darn it!" And I I look up at the clock, and I just missed the world record by like eight one hundredths of a second. Oh wow! So, um, I go into the night, in the final seated first by a good amount and the guys who were on both sides of me were actually my idols in swimming. So it was mm-hmm. Matt Biondi and the current American record holder, Pablo Morales was on the other side. And I knew that they took it out really fast. And I typically am like middle of the pack at the halfway point. And then I hit the wall and I try to run people down on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, but for one reason or another, I still can't really <laughs> explain it. And my coach always shakes his head about this, but, um, right. And I thought about it. I'm in the ready room, which is a room they have us in before we parade out for the finals. And I'm looking at these two guys. And I'm like, I know I'm going to be way behind. I'm probably going to be at their knees by at the halfway point and just wrapping my head around that, you know, okay. feeling. So I'm not freaked out about it. But something in my head said, just get out in front of them. <laughs> in front of them, they're going to be so mind crying. They're going to be so messed up seeing me ahead of them because they've never seen it that they're going to freak out. So something in me agreed that that was a great thing to do. And so, you know, they started us. I dove in. Um, 
first at the halfway point by I'd say like a half body length. And the I know I hit the wall and I'm coming off and the crowd is out of control. And <laughs> I can hear the announcers saying, he's way ahead of world record pace and blah, 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 you know, like yelling and the crowd's going crazy. And they flip. The classic thing is the NBC flips to my coach and you see my coach and he's got his hands on both sides of his head with this shocked, <laughs> excited, more like, what are you doing? Like, oh my God, who is this guy? And you know, I'm going down the pool and I'd say within 10 meters of the wall, the first piano landed on my back. <laughs> then about two more strokes later, I could barely get my arms out of the water. Oh my goodness. So I went from first to seventh in five meters <laughs> and didn't make the team. And my uh, time from the morning session would have meddled at the Olympics. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was a hard one to swallow. And, yeah. But the one thing I had remembered was Michael Jordan came and gave a talk to one of the national teams I was on before that. And he had said something that really struck me. And it seems simple, but not mm -hmm. many people do it. And he said, what separates the good from the great is that the great become fanatic about their worst performances. So mm. he said, you know, he's like, look, I lost as many games as I won in the final seconds. He goes, but you don't really hear about those. And he goes, when I did miss that shot in the final seconds, I would stay after and do that exact same shot like 500 times. No exaggeration. Mm. I would keep doing it, keep doing it, take a break, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until I knew that I knew what to do in that situation. Like if that situation happened again and I'm right there, that's what I would do. And so, you know, when I got back home, I had a choice, you know, it was like retire. And Olympic athlete, it's hard because it's either retire or go four more years. <laughs> you know? So thought about it for a while and just decided like, you know what, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to make sure that I don't make the same mistake. I'm going to train my body to swim like I should have swam that race and I'm just going to go all chips in. So in 96, when I raced again at trials, I actually came in the night seated seventh and it was the tightest heat in the history of Olympic trials for the U S wow. I think between first and eighth was like four tenths of a second. Yeah. So, I mean, we were all coming to the wall pretty much the same <laughs> time. Right. And so, um, when I hit the wall at the halfway point, I was in last place. And this time NBC flipped and showed my parents in the stands and they were going crazy. You wouldn't have thought that I was in last place. Like mm. they were like all jumping up, like excited. And my coach was excited. And then, you know, I ran everybody down at the last five, 10 meters and made the team. Mm. What did we learn from that wonderful story? The biggest thing I learned was, first of all, you can't control other people. So, you know, in school and in education, you know, I often was, I was pre-med in college and I was often worried about whatever, like what my class rank was and what other people were doing and 
how much they were studying versus how much I was studying. And that's just a waste of time and energy, really, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I, I think the one thing that I always teach my kids is to stay in your lane. Like, yeah. do what you need to do to get the best out of yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. You never know what other people are going to do. You never know how they're going to perform, whether it's in school or anywhere else. Just stay in your lane and do what you have to do. Don't waste energy worrying about other people. The other thing is it's incredibly important to learn from your mistakes. Like you get mm-hmm. like if I got a bad grade in a, in a subject, I would typically take it to my teacher and be like, you know what? I studied. I just don't get you know, why I missed X, Y, and Z or why I got this grade. Like I I can't get grades like this. Like I just, you know, and and the teacher would not only have more respect for you and more empathy towards you being a good student, but they would typically give you some insight on how you could study better and more effectively. So, you know, for me, you know, a, a lot of kids I saw, I see in sports to this day when they have a bad competition or even at school, you see the same thing, you know, but in a bad competition, you'd see kids, you know, get upset. They throw their goggles down, they stomp yeah. off, they go in the corner, they don't talk to the coach, you know, they, so what are they getting from that? Nothing. They still got more races to do that day. Yeah. And what, what do you think they're going to do? You know? So to me, when I had a bad race, the first thing I did was to walk over to my coach when it was still fresh in his mind and still fresh in my mind and run over the race and mm. be like, what, what did you see here? How do you feel here? And then we could kind of grind it out and figure out what went wrong. Yeah. Um, same thing with school. Like when I got a bad grade, I wouldn't pout and hate the teacher and blame everybody and all that. I didn't have enough time to study and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It was more like, all right, I'm going to figure out what the heck I did wrong. Like this is not yeah. acceptable. So... Yeah. You know, it was more of a teaching experience. I actually probably got more out of my bad races and bad exams than I did out of the other side of it, you know, Hmm. having a great race or, Hmm. you know, good grades. You know, another thing that comes out to me is the idea of perseverance, right? You had to look at what was ahead of you, you know, it was four years, like you said, and then you went for it and you actually persevered, you know, towards that end. And that's difficult to do, right? What do you think helped you persevere towards your next goal, even after that, you know, that disruption or that, you know, some people would say failure or whatever, however you would uh, define that. But what helped you persevere? I was actually more dangerous after not making the Olympic team because hmm. everything I feared about not making the team didn't come true. So I'm like, God, if I don't make the team, I'm going to lose all my sponsors and I'm going to God, I'm gonna have to quit swimming. And, you know, my parents are going to be disappointed and my friends and yeah. everybody who wanted to go to the Olympics, like they all were planning to go and like what's going to happen with their tickets and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. You know, like all this pressure that I didn't realize was on me was yeah. internal and it didn't happen. Like, yeah, some of my sponsors, you know, got rid of me. That <laughs> true. But I didn't fall into financial ruin. I didn't, you know, have to quit swimming. I still had a decision. My parents were not disappointed in me at all. They were excited mm-hmm. that I was brave enough to step up on the blocks and race, you know, at Olympic trials and that I had made it that far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of those things that I was so fearful of 
all of a sudden I wasn't fearing anymore. It was like, yeah. like people who kind of cheat death and they, you know, see, they say that they see the other side and mm-hmm. amazing and that type of thing. Like they enjoy life way better. Right. So, you know, for me, all of a sudden I was like deadly. Like I, I <laughs> had the best races of my life after mm-hmm. that. And I could recover quickly from bad races because I just wasn't as fearful. I want to pause this podcast for a moment to let you know about another great podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, thanks for that reminder of that. That's really helpful. Sometimes when we're in the midst of something, we can't see what it's like on the other side. And oftentimes it's not what we envision, right? And yeah. and that example is really helpful. Um, Mark, this has been so great talking with you today. As we wind things down, who do you want to give a shout out to? Um, I just want to give a shout out to my national team friends and a shout out to the guys that are trying out for Olympic trials in the next month for the U.S. team. I know that they've been put through the ringer with COVID and been delayed, been delayed and had to really show some resolve, like you said earlier, to stick with it. So I just want to tell them that, you know, no matter what happens, still love them and I'm excited to watch them race. Time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Hey, any dream is achievable. And when you have down moments, just look at them and try to learn from them. And you're going to come out on the on the right side of the equation. Mark, thank you for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences and helping us dive deep. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. <laughs>